But if you look at nations like Israel, the startup nation, or any other advanced nation where the ecosystem is more mature, you will see that there's one startup for every two to three thousand people. So we will go ten times. Hi, I am Tintin Vaishnav. I am the mission director for Atal Innovation Mission at BPIO Government of India, and you are listening to Understanding the Future podcast. Hello everyone, I am Punit Gandhi, Senior Associate with the Climate Center for Cities at the National Institute of Urban Affairs and welcome to the Season 3 of Understanding the Future podcast. I have been working and studying in the field of sustainability and climate change for more than 8 years and I have realized that I have a lot of questions on how we can build cities in India that are more climate focused. With Understanding the Future podcast, I interact with experts, entrepreneurs and government officials to understand what it takes to bring all the different solutions to the ground, as well as how can systemic changes be developed on ground. We will further anchor all the topics being discussed with different skill sets required. This will help us understand the future of cities and future of work in Indian context. If you are tuning in for the first time, do check out our previous episodes. Also, don't forget to check out the Climate Practitioners India Network, a members-led solutions-oriented platform for climate practitioners across India. And join it through the show note. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Season 3 of Understanding the Future. I am your host, Punit Gandhi. Senior Associate with the Climate Center for Cities. And today we have with us Dr. Chintan Vesh. He is the Mission Director of Atal Innovation Mission at the Niki IO. And today he will help us understand the topic of developing cities as innovation fact. Welcome to the show, Dr. Chintan. Thank you, Puneet. Uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, so I think I'll, I'll start the question with uh, what is Atal Innovation Mission? What is it trying to drive in India? How is it trying to drive? And what are the kind of impacts that have come out of it? Sure. Uh, so, Atal Innovation Mission is uh, Government of India's um, uh, umbrella or flagship initiative uh, that is tasked with uh, uh, creating and nurturing uh, the innovation ecosystem of the country, uh, the innovation and entrepreneurship ecosystem of the country. It sits inside the Niti IO, which uh, NITI stands for National Institution for Transforming India. Uh, that is the, if you want to think of it this way, the think tank of the government, the central think tank of the government of India. And uh, it's, it has existed, uh, that is the Atal Innovation Mission has existed uh, since uh, 2016, uh, December. Uh, and so over the past uh, uh, few years, it has... Uh, focused on several different activities to uh, really accelerate the innovation and entrepreneurship uh, uh, movement in India. Uh, at the youngest end of the spectrum, uh, uh, we uh, have um, built uh, uh, 10,000 uh, tinkering labs, which are called the Atal Tinkering Labs or ATLs. These are maker spaces in schools for children from 6th to 12th grade. Uh, these spaces have 3D printers, uh, mechanical and electronic desks, and so on. 
and it is uh, perhaps the first intervention in Indian school setting where uh, where uh, mind and hands uh, have been given equal status uh, in learning. We also have uh, created uh, incubation centers. Uh, these are generally, uh, they're called Atal Incubation Centers or AICs. These are business incubators uh, typically hosted uh, at a university uh, or uh, in an industry body or a research lab. Uh, the idea here is to promote uh, startups uh, uh, let somebody go from an idea to a startup. We've created 68 of them so far. Uh, we have a mandate of 101. Um, we have just opened the application process for AICs, so people want to apply. This is the time to do it. Uh, we have other community innovation centers, which are uh, new centers. Uh, these, this is a new scheme um, under which we are trying to build uh, 50 uh, community innovation centers, which are SDG focused, uh, where grassroots innovators innovate uh, and are supported in a serious way. Um, um, this application is also open <laughs> recently, so I think that there people can apply. We have built 14 of them so far. We're going to build uh, uh, 50 of them in total. Then. Uh, we run challenges, national innovation challenges, where ministries give us problem statements and we run a challenge, we select startups, we uh, support them for 12 to 18 months to uh, bring their solution to market. Uh, so these are called Atal New India Challenge. In December last year, we announced a vernacular innovation program. This program is designed to open India's innovation ecosystem to all languages of India. Uh, as you know, there are 22 official languages in India, uh, but much of our innovation ecosystem today remains accessible only to English speakers, which is only about 11% of all Indians. So that's the, the uh, vernacular is the other work. And then we also, on top of this, we have many partnerships uh, and ecosystem activities uh, to sort of take the ecosystem forward. So, so a lot of this, um, these are just numbers uh, so far that I've, I've told you about, but you asked about what has been the impact of this, right? Um, so we have recently done a cost-benefit analysis of Atal Innovation Mission as to whether it makes sense to have such a mission. Uh, I, I always ask in various crowds, why should we have an innovation mission? Can't it happen without one such mission? And uh, I, I had been invoking that question more qualitatively by asking people that how many technologies can you count uh, that uh, you use or your parents have used or your grandparents have used that you you, you consider having originated in India. Yeah. And it's a very small number of technologies that we today depend on. So that's one clear reason to have an innovation mission to accelerate this movement. But this cost benefit, what it has shown us is that so far, uh, until last year, we have uh, spent 1,511 crore rupees on everything that we have spent for our innovation mission. If you calculate the returns, they are, and, and you only keep it to tangible returns. Mm. Uh, these return, returns are somewhere close to 8,700 crore rupees. Uh, so, but there's a five-time gain so benefits yeah. are five times the cost. Yeah. The way we calculated the benefits uh, 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 is to uh, add up 
the returns uh, from startups, um, from incubators, and from having created the tinkering labs. Uh, for startups, uh, our startups so far have a valuation of some somewhere around 6,500 crore. That is uh, 2,700 startups that are directly working with Atal incubation centers. Yeah. Uh, these incubators have raised somewhere close to 60 crores. This is mostly, you know, infrastructure, matching fund type of a thing. So that's also, yeah. also a form of income. Startups have uh, so far created about 15,000 plus jobs. If you take uh, that a single job is somewhere close to 30,000 rupees a month, um, which is yeah. on the lower end, then that gives you about 500 crores uh, per annum. And then... We have sensitized uh, 75 lakh students so far. Uh, and if you say that, if you ask the question, how much would such a student pay in a private setting to get similar experience, yeah. they would at least pay a thousand rupees, you know, yeah. uh, very, very conservatively. So that gives you about 750 crores. So in total, we have 8,700 crores. Uh, so, so that's one is to five. So five times gain. But if you, if you, Take one more step and you say, I will do what uh, uh, investors do and I'm going to divide this number by a social cost of capital. Yeah. Then you will see that uh, Atal Innovation Mission's uh, 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 returns are about 17 times, which would be wow. in line with any uh, globally uh, well-executed uh, program. Yeah. So that's where we... Wow, that's a, that's a very good concise thing that you have just spoken about everything that is possible under the Atal Innovation Mission. Uh, and somewhere, I think it's a bus is also going around that somewhere close to 75,000 startups have registered in India right now. Right. Uh, so what are the kind of challenges that we are seeing right now that we need to solve going forward from now that we can develop this kind of robust innovation ecosystem that you're mentioning that yes, we need to make sure that Every household can think of Indian innovations that they are using from now on. Yeah. Well, so the the deep so the challenge. Well, first of all, I think the seventy-five number thousand as a number is a great number to celebrate. Celebrate on one hand. Yeah. On the other hand, it is uh, um, it is uh, about in my in my rough calculation. About one tenth of where we will venture. Uh, so yeah. uh, I say it is because if you look at about 70,000 70, startups for uh, uh, 140 crore people, yeah, uh, that is about one startup for 20,000 people. Yeah. Uh, uh, but if you look at nations like Israel, the startup nation, or any other advanced nation where the ecosystem is more mature, yeah. you will see that there's one startup for every two to three thousand people. Mm-hmm. So we will go ten times. Is if, if we were equally creative, which I think we are, yeah. uh, we will go uh, to that type of number. So the, so the first thing to note is that this is a, a, a good number for us. We should celebrate it. We should also know that this is uh, this is uh, one tenth of the number we could have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, now, what are some things that need to happen? Uh, what, what are the barriers? 
So the biggest barrier is a mindset. Yeah. Um, uh, this is a, and I'm talking about various forms of divides that exist in terms of the mindset, right? It is, uh, whether it is between a parent and a child, uh, a child wanting to take risk and parent wanting them to take a job. Yeah. Uh, so that's one. Whether it's a mindset, whether it's a, a gap or a valley between uh, an academic faculty and uh, an industrialist, yeah. uh, where you know, uh, where uh, industrialists by and large uh, uh, don't have the confidence that there can be, uh, you know, an entrepreneurial uh, academic. Yeah. And academics uh, often don't have the uh, uh, often don't have the uh, confidence that there can be uh, a, a, a uh, sort of there can be industrialists who are who are seeking depth and are willing to work with uh, you know uh, yeah. research based findings and all that. So that's another. We have a similar type of a gap between uh, private sector and the government. Again, these are the trust divides. Yeah. Right? I think yeah. that's so the mindset uh, is is really to me the deepest deepest uh, impediment or, or barrier yeah. uh, to moving forward uh, quickly. Um, but there are other more uh, sort of uh, uh, operational, more tangible yeah. barriers. For example, investments are still very small, so startups who really succeed. Uh, 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 beyond a certain point often end up uh, going uh, abroad because uh, uh, whereas uh, an Indian investor is not willing to invest in them, uh, somebody yeah. abroad is willing to invest in them. Take science-based entrepreneurship, for example. Yeah. Uh, you look at the world's top uh, um, 100 uh, deep tech startups, the average investment in each one of them is about $75 million. Yeah. Uh, that is the total budget of Atal Innovation Mission in the whole year. Yeah. So, so you, can, you see the gap uh, in funding that we are talking about. The other piece uh, uh, also is that, I mean, for the moment, uh, a large number of startups are still in digital, you know, mobile, yeah. IT type of space, whereas uh, our challenges are all over the map. You know, uh, we, yeah. we have healthcare challenges, agriculture challenges, uh, you know, um, uh, environmental challenges, uh, so many different things that would uh, need us to innovate not only in the digital space, but also in the physical space. Uh, so in yeah. machines and materials and uh, uh, biology and nanotechnology, whatever, whatever else. So I, I think they, we, we're not yet going there. Yeah. And for, again, for a variety of reasons. Uh, uh, digital is easier to, uh, it's more democratized, so more people can do it more easily and so on. So, yeah. Yeah. so we have to overcome all of these. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's surely quite complicated per se. And I, I do uh, agree with you that I think in India, we do have a major IT sector focus in which ways. Uh, somewhere I would also like to think that, okay, if we already have such capabilities, can we target more towards the tech 
innovations? Can we bring in more companies which will be more future-centric uh, and maybe bigger than Google and Facebook? How can that kind of ecosystem be developed in India? Uh, uh, assuming that we have that kind of talent already in place. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good question. Um, so we we have um, at at Atal Innovation Mission last year we undertook a, a very serious uh, experiment with uh, deep tech, where we had a program called the Aim to Prime program, uh, which was run uh, in collaboration with a venture center in Pune at the National Chemical Laboratory, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the office of the principal scientific advisor. In this experiment, we uh, selected uh, several, about 20 uh, startups, several incubators that supported these startups, and several academics whose labs these startups had come out of. Mm -hmm. uh, and we took them through a nine-month uh, acceleration process in which the first three months were uh, more instructional, where globally renowned faculty uh, taught one and a half to two hour type of session. Yeah. Uh, on, on the entire process of lab to land uh, and wow. then building business models around such uh, deep tech ideas. These were all deep tech ideas, by the way, or they were all ideas which originated in science. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so we, we, we took them through these instructions and then for the for first three months and then for the subsequent six months, we intensely handheld them to apply the frameworks that were taught in the first three months. Yeah. Uh, and, and there were several opportunities to pitch, meet investors, etc. And uh, we, we have, first of all, we learned a lot of, um, in terms of um, uh, how to think differently for deep tech. So, so the way I I'd like to define deep tech vis-a-vis -vis any common startup uh, mm. is that um, a deep tech startup is one where there is a creation of knowledge in the process of doing the startup as opposed to a mere application of knowledge, um, which is most of this, which is where most of the startups are. Of course, there's nothing wrong with mere application of knowledge. I'm just saying that this, this differentiation between the two, right? So when you are creating knowledge, obviously the scientific or the technological uncertainty is much, much greater, uh, which requires you to uh, have, uh, first of all, support to uh, fail much more and uh, yeah. uh, fail much faster. Yeah. And uh, 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 also it's going to take uh, uh, sort of a, a lot of work to uh, uh, take it to market because the, 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 the as they say, the value of debt uh, is uh, not yeah. only deeper, but it's wider. True. So, uh, for instance, uh, in this cohort, uh, there was um, um, there was one startup called Lamara Technologies. Uh, Lamara had been working on their idea for 10 years. Uh, wow. they, they make thermostable insulins uh, so that the insulin drugs will not require a uh, cold chain. Now, this is a major breakthrough, right, if we can deliver it. Uh, but uh, doing it requires 10, 12 years of uh, hard work. So, obviously, it requires that kind of uh, uh, 
temperament mm. uh, and it, it requires that kind of patience uh, for people who invest in it and so on. So I think uh, in terms of deep tech, we definitely we are learning. We definitely have the talent, uh, but uh, we will have to build that patient uh, capital and and uh, the support that the R and D needs so that people can fail for a longer time because they are trying something harder. Yeah, I do want to mention one more aspect of deep tech, um, which is not very. Uh, not adequately emphasized. How good our higher education system is has a direct and deep relationship with deep. Yeah. Uh, 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 our discoveries are going to come only if we can teach our subjects in a way where such discoveries can originate. I'll give you a very quick example. For example, most of the world teaches programming languages by giving somebody a textbook and saying, listen, here is a syntax, why don't you learn it? Why don't you practice a few examples and uh, uh, and then you can uh, write your code. You have yeah. learned programming language. That's okay for the mass market. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, programming languages, the way they are taught in, for instance, in top places like MIT, is that uh, when students come in uh, uh, in their first class, they're given a, a, an old computer, the PDP-11 from 1970s, and are told that this, this computer only in, understands uh, five instru different instructions, but you are required to uh, uh, write a code that uh, delivers such and such outcome. Okay. But because it only requires, uh, it understands five instructions, why don't you first write your own language? So each one, each student writes their own language. Once they do that, they are told, but listen, this computer doesn't really understand how what your language is, so why don't you write an interpreter? So they use the five instructions to write an interpreter. Then they are told, why don't you write a compiler? Then they are told, why don't you write a... <laughs> so so when, yeah. you, when you learn languages in that fashion, yeah. any lang programming language of the world is uh, a piece of cake for you, right? Uh, yes. It's so easy for you to learn. And in the process... Many, many ideas come to your mind as to why the modern languages or the state-of-the-art languages are still deficient. Yeah. That is what leads to new languages. Yeah. So the way these subjects are being taught has everything to do with uh, what kind of uh, inquisitiveness and inclusion uh, will, will come out of such people. Yeah. That don't yet be. Yeah. Wow, that's that's quite fascinating. I think uh, someone like me who does not understand computer languages might benefit from such a process to be actually able to, you know, function out on, okay, how to actually use these kind of languages. Uh, but coming to, I, I do, uh, I like your point about bringing in academic labs because a lot of these kind of research require that kind of support for a long period of time. And we are looking at it. I think most of our cities have those kind of big labs uh, because they have bigger uh, institutes in place as well. Uh, but also, traditionally, a lot of these cities are surrounded by a lot of uh, MSN sector. Can there be a possibility of combining these two to be able to, you know, lead in innovation sector uh, so that more research can come out from the existing businesses and somewhere 
go more in depth with the innovation which can create a bigger msme sector which is more research and innovation based yes the possibly the best way to invigorate and sustain applied research is to ground it in the industrial cluster because then the research will be in response to a real demand uh, it will solve somebody's real problem and it will also uh, where, where the researcher will also receive a regular feedback on whether what they're doing has any audience or not so so definitely i there's in places where there begins to be a functional system or uh, an active interaction between msmes and uh, research laboratories a lot of meaningful progress uh, can be made such you know one such example that comes to mind is if you look at india's history in terms of uh, in the 50s and 60s um when the uh, when, when in amdabad the textile cluster uh, set up uh, nid uh, iim amdabad um, atira these institutions work very closely with the textile cluster yeah so first of all the problem statements were much more real and second the output had a user yeah so that's that's absolutely Uh, worth uh, uh, it, there needs to be a lot more of that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, and somewhere this, I think, also brings down the next question. That I think, if we can, how can we then make sure that such kind of research facilities can also be placed with, uh, let's say, government bodies like municipal bodies in each city? Uh, because I think there is no dearth of problem statements over there, but there is. a requirement of and demand of that kind of solutions so how can that ecosystem be developed in a way that or maybe connected across all three of them to be made sure that uh, and i think somewhere this might also help us solve the larger questions of health and uh, environment as you had pointed out earlier so uh, when you say all three uh, you mean the municipal body the msmes and the research lab yes 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 yeah yeah okay yeah so so yes uh, you know there is uh, uh, there is this program out, out of the uh, principal scientific advisors office um, uh, on city clusters hmm. uh, they have selected um, uh, six cities uh, each of which uh, has uh, uh, more than 40 Uh, research institutions of national repute hmm. and and they're trying to interconnect them yeah and also link them to the uh, industries in, in in that uh, to to the cluster but uh, see cities uh, is a very interesting unit of uh, impact in some way uh, because cities have the advantage of the concentration of uh, people and activity you know yeah <coughs> so uh, a lot of uh, uh innovation and entrepreneurship is possible in cities at a much higher rate yeah uh, because uh, uh, because people are in close proximity and there are 
there is a critical mass of talent uh, to do certain type of work and so on. So yeah. cities are very, uh, in that sense, ripe for uh, uh, creating such uh, 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 platforms yeah. uh, where problems can be solved actively. Uh, what what we we do see uh, uh, a lot of effort in this direction. Uh, for example, uh, Ministry of Housing and Urban Affairs uh, uh, changed their policy to allow cities to these smart cities to procure uh, innovations from startups, which is a big uh, step. You know, so yeah. they've, they've created the demand side of it. Yeah. Um, they're able to put up challenges uh, to um, uh, to attract uh, you know uh, problem solvers uh, to come engage with uh, the cities uh, and so on. Uh, but what what we still don't do, uh, which we can do, uh, is uh, uh, that if, if cities were able to put out problem statements with which local uh, research institutions can engage and they can engage their students to solve those problems in a much more uh, sustained and active uh, way, uh, not in a one-off hackathon, but in a, uh, in a innovation pipeline, if you would, yeah. uh, where it is known that every, uh, uh, every fall semester or every spring semester, every year, there will be city challenges where students would engage and solve these challenges. Uh, students from output of the previous years can be funneled into the next years. And, I mean, so really take it up as that these are our sort of a three, five year strategy of my city. Yeah. And here are, here's how I'm going to engage the young population to solve those problems. That kind of strategic framework, we uh, don't, uh, at least I, I haven't yet seen. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think we have definitely have an opportunity to build that uh, at this point, especially because the innovation ecosystem by and large is at least, uh, uh, if, if you like, vibrant, maybe a very, uh, very big word for it. But let's say uh, at least uh, it is shaken up sufficiently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think uh, that's a very important point as well. And uh, I, I do know that Mahua is trying uh, to push this frontier as well to make sure that more and more innovation can be taken up. And I think somewhere it needs to come from the bottom as well uh, on those lines. Uh, but then coming to the bottom of the pyramid, or let's say consumers or users of all these products, I think one of the biggest challenges that everyone is uh, or everyone's afraid of is the consumer data. And the uh, how do we make sure and how what kind of benchmarks or standards can be made to make sure that this data remains safe so that anonymization or data leaks happen at the least possible or uh, close to it? This is the consumer, uh, you mean the city dweller? No, consumer as in this is from the general startup perspective of uh, all startups do take up a lot of data of all different users. Uh, how do we make sure that that remains safe and uh, that is protected from hacks and everything? Yeah. So there are two uh, aspects here, right? One is the security aspect, data security yeah. aspect. Yeah. The other is the data privacy aspect. 
Yes. Uh, which one are you uh, thinking uh, about? I am thinking more on lines of uh, data privacy. Okay. Okay. Right. Right. Uh, right. So, so the privacy protection. I mean, you know, uh, if, if you look at um, so the Data Protection Act would really be the best way to uh, do that. Um, the, the principles of what is to be protected are quite uh, simple. Adhering uh, to them is uh, where the challenge is, right? Because of the variety of intentions and the pressures on the businesses and so on. A business pressure, you know, regulatory pressure, whatever. Um, so, so, um, um, uh, the, the, the information that must be protected is the personally identified viable information, Ooh. right? Um, then beyond that, there is this, uh, that there are the uh, questions of, okay, did you collect the information that you absolutely needed? Are you using this information in the way that you promised you would use it? and not beyond, uh, and then uh, are you disclosing this information uh, to those, uh, only to those who have promised you disclose to, uh, and are you doing that responsibly? Now, so these principles of how to design these, um, uh, these innovations that deal with data are fairly well understood. The challenge comes when in the absence of a regulatory um, a, a regulatory protection or, or restrictions that uh, the do's and don'ts that regulations sort of put put out, yeah. in the absence of that, firms can yield to uh, you know pressures uh, that violate the best practices. Right? Uh, yeah, that's 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 the challenge. Uh, uh, but but again, there's no uh, data and privacy protection. In the absence of uh, a data protection framework, uh, uh, which is which needs to be comprehensive. So, for instance, if you look at, and, and I think India has a very, very, it's in a very, very good position to do something like this because if you look at Sri Krishna uh, 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 Committee's uh, report, um, uh, which is 600 plus pages or so, uh, you know that had that has got to be one of the best documents written in this uh, realm. I mean, if you look at uh, the European discourse, uh, you look at the American discourse uh, on this topic, uh, and I have shown this document to many people all, all around the world when I was researching data privacy yeah. in India. And and I think our, our understanding of what needs to be done is, is very, very sound. Uh, also, uh, we are the only people in the world who have said that it's not all about locking your somebody's data up, nor is it all about only commerce. It is uh, uh, about the balance between the protection and being able to innovate. We are the only nation in the world that is said, yeah. which is a very important thing because uh, uh, the either extreme is not something we can afford. True, and I think... Uh that the only because the amount of uh, people that we have as well, I think data somewhere can be a gold mine as well in terms of innovation that we want to bring up uh, for sure. Uh, so I think one of the last questions that I would like to 
causes on the lines of that. There are now big problems that people are trying to solve, like climate change. And a lot of people kind of ask that, can we make things more open source on these lines? And something like FOSS India, a free and open source software platform that is there. Uh, now, does it make more sense to develop this kind of ecosystem considering that we need to also translate a lot of innovation into action in and bring forward uh, solutions to solve the problems like climate? And maybe how can we develop this? Yeah, that's a very tough and <laughs> good question. <laughs> well, the, I mean, I think this is very, very, very unique. Two unique pieces that you're combining in this question. Well, one is the climate. What can we do about the climate? Second is, can we do it in an open source fashion, right? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I think the, when it comes to climate, is that it unifies the whole world. That's one, just like COVID in some ways yeah. unified us all. And so climate is one such issue. In other words, if we innovated something that was a uh, climate conscious innovation, uh, in India, uh, chances are that it would be of interest to, to uh, you know, other countries uh, out in the West, uh, etc. Just because this is a common problem we're all facing, so that would then say that. Uh, so, the, so that's 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 one in a way yeah. something that unifies us. Now, um, the rate at which we are going right now. I don't think we can solve these problems uh, in isolation. Uh, so from that perspective, I think open source uh, is an interesting proposition. Uh, that uh, if something uh, works for, say, climate adaptation or mitigation in one part of the world, yeah. uh, should we, uh, should it be open source so that it can be used by any other part, part of the world? Um, uh, and uh, course the answer is why not right but 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 more pragmatically i think uh, we will be forced to uh, leave aside a profit maximization profit maximizing business models around innovation yeah. and build impact maximizing business models around innovations when it comes to climate change that is absolutely true. Because I think uh, the rate at which uh, uh, the rate at which uh, we are solving problems is not nearly enough to meet the goals of say 1.5 degrees or uh, you know what. So yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true, and I think uh, with this challenge coming up, it's more and more evident that a lot of startups are also coming up in this sector to make sure that some kind of dent can be created. So I think the last question that we ask everyone on this is around scale because somewhere this is an interesting ecosystem. This is something which has a lot of excitement, a lot of ups and downs. Uh, but to put it in, because this is a very broad as well, so I would like to frame it in a way that what are the different skill sets that would be required to develop cities as an innovation factory for India? Well, if I kind of step back um, and think about uh, um, that, one of the 
skill sets which uh, is uh, not very common is um, we will need uh, people who can understand uh, languages of uh, many different domains and are tolerant to understanding different domains because these problems in in a city problems are uh, far more interconnected yeah. in, in, in smaller area a lot of people perhaps coexist so 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 to to be able to work with one another i think understanding uh, languages of different domains is important to to build impactful solutions so yeah. that's one skill set that's uh, uh, that's required um uh other than that i think uh, we we will require a skill set to uh, skill uh, a skill set to uh, identify important problems uh, which is a very important point by the way I mean, we 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 never teach people how to identify problems we only teach them how to write up solutions uh, so uh, identifying problems is one skill set second is um, uh, creating uh, uh, i mean design skills are going to be very important uh, because you want to create a solution that's uh, uh, to to that problem which actually generates value for somebody right it doesn't generate value for somebody that might have created the solution um and then you would require skill set to say okay uh, how do i take this solution forward in terms of at least creating some sustainable uh economic model around it you know, so that some of that value is captured to pay for uh, taking such a solution forward to quality business models i think that would be an important skill set uh, uh, and then i think a lot of problems are going to be uh, um, uh, a lot of problems are going to uh, be such where you really have to uh, solve it in a multi stakeholder fashion it's not a negotiations mediations whatever you want to call it <laughs> all of that uh, yeah. yeah but again i i am not an i have to say i am not an expert on this particular question i am kind of reflecting on it in real time so here are some thoughts yeah thank you so much for that i think it does make sense that from understanding of how it comes from defining problems to creating models and making sure that the adaptation is across different stakeholders it does make sense from a uh, design point of view that okay all the things that would be required to make sure that city can develop and uh, fulfill the requirements of citizens as well uh but thank you so much it has been wonderful talking and uh, thank you for answering such questions because uh, i think this does bring in a lot of clarity also on the lines of okay what are we actually looking at it from innovation terms what is government looking at it from innovation terms and how are we planning to move forward thank you so much punit uh, uh, thanks for posing some questions that have made me think more and will <laughs> i will continue to brew them especially the last question um that what what is unique about creating a skill set in a city so that cities can be better prosperous sustainable whatever thanks a lot
Thank you so much. Thanks and uh, have a good uh, Independence Day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. Do subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and follow us on all social media channels. For more details about the Climate Center for Cities and registration on Climate Practitioners India Network, click on the link in the show notes. The episode is conceptualized and produced by Punit Gandhi. A big thank you to the whole team at C-Cube and NIUA for supporting the development of the podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode.